0: Have you ever dreamt of selling most of your stuff and living out of an RV to explore wherever the spirit takes you? Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Christina Nielsen did, and she found that RV parks extend an effortless kind of welcome.
1: When you pull in and you start to talk to somebody, it's not, what did you do for a living? It's, well, how are you today? It's very much in the moment.
0: Coming up, we'll look at the benefits of finding yourself on the backroads of America. We'll also explore the beach scene in Portugal's Algarve, where freshly grilled sardines are a summertime treat.
2: You just put on some salt, maritime salt, and you grill it. Nothing but that. They are 100% original, genuine.
0: And we'll enjoy a guided walk along the Coronation Way in Prague.
3: It's actually the textbook of architecture. While you are walking, you can talk about very different styles, maybe 10 centuries you can cover quite nicely while walking.
0: From the old world to the new, the fun is just ahead on Travel with Rick Steves. We'll learn how one woman followed her heart when she changed gears to live out of a motorhome. She tells us what life on the road taught her while navigating the back roads of the West from Baja to British Columbia. That's coming up in just a bit today on Travel with Rick Steves. We'll also check out one of my favorite beach scenes in Europe, the Algarve, along the south coast of Portugal. We're at 877-333-7425. Let's start out today in Central Europe's best-preserved Baroque city, Prague in the Czech Republic. It's a delight to stroll from the Old Town across the river over the beautiful Charles Bridge and up to one of Europe's largest castles. The route is known as the Coronation Way, and it forms the main spine for tourists who want to explore the city. Today, it also includes more than its share of tacky trinket shops, but it was once the glorious route the Habsburgs walked on their way up to being crowned the latest king. Helping us discover the glories of the Old World in their home base of Prague are Katerina Svobodova and Jana Hrankova. Jana and Katerina, thanks for being here.
3: Thank you, Thank you for inviting us.
0: Now, Katrina, what is the Coronation Way?
3: As you said, it is the spine now, the main tourist draft probably for the visitors to come to our city. They can see all those great buildings. It's actually the textbook of architecture while you are walking. You can talk about very different styles, maybe ten, yeah, about 10 centuries you can cover quite nicely while walking through these... Ten slope.
0: centuries of yeah, architecture just yeah. walking down through the city. That's the beautiful thing. Mm. And Jana, where does it start, actually?
4: Well, it starts uh, by the gate, very important gate, originally, during the medieval times. It's called uh, Powder Tower. Powder Beauty, Tower because powder it tower. kept all
0: the gunpowder? Is that the reason? Exactly.
4: Exactly. Wow. That's the name.
0: Okay. Now, when you look at Prague today, I like this all over Europe. You can look at a map and you can actually see the medieval wall and the fortifications. When yes. you look at the map of Prague today, How can you see how the city was designed from a medieval fortifications kind of way?
4: Well, because uh, originally we used to have four uh, towns, really, four medieval settlements, and everything was um, based by the river. So we have the old town, which Mm -hmm. was really fortified. And still till today, we can uh, really follow the way where the... uh, Original medieval walls used to be. Now we have like a three different uh, streets, boulevards. Yeah. Yes. I'm, in fact,
0: I'm looking at the map, and mm-hmm. I can see the river, and that's where all the trade was. Yes. And then I can see a semicircle that comes out from the river, that's it, which exactly. must have been the wall in the old days. Yes. And today it's just boulevards because they tore down the wall. But here on the far side, we've got the Powder Tower, and that was the grand gate of the city.
4: That was the entrance. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. That's really the gate through which the king entered the medieval settlement because of course during the coronation way all his people had to see him and uh, his importance and richness I love
0: that. and Katarina, when when you look at the powder tower today you actually see carvings in there that sort of evoke the middle ages don't you
4: yeah very beautiful
3: statues on that site when you were outside of it and actually you also have to imagine that you had to cross a moat so some water used to be there in front of the gate and then the walls. So that's why we even still have the name of the street of that boulevard you were talking about with that name on the moat. So what, what translated is that in, in from Czech, Czech? On
0: the moat. <laughs> on the
3: moat, in Czech, we say na příkopě.
0: And that's that's the main sort of pedestrian stroll yes, there in, in that, that area. part of town. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. So you go through the gate, it's the grand, you can almost hear the trumpets going <laughs> and then you go to the main square and then from there, where do you walk, Jana?
4: From uh, the main square, the old town square, you really head uh, towards the river and finally you, you hit the beautiful Charles Bridge. And uh, when you hit the, the river, you have a beautiful view over the castle. So that was the final destination mm. uh, because on the top of the hill in the center of the castle is uh, the most beautiful and the most amazing church that we have, the cathedral St. Vitus, mm. really, mm, okay. where the coronation took place.
0: I'm just going to kind of walk us now through the city on this coronation walk, and we'll talk about what we're going to be seeing. But from the Powder Tower, you walk down to the Old Town Square, and here we have so much history and so much sort of glory. Katarina, what are we going to see just briefly when we stand there on the Old Town Square?
3: Yeah, well, the Old Town Square, so I would guess definitely the main important thing there is the astronomical clock, what Mm -hmm. everyone wants to see and can have a chance to see at least, wow, many 12 times a day the procession of apostles we have there when the two windows open there and we see old wooden figures of all apostles. So the, the
0: 12 apostles go back go around. Yeah, in the, yeah, in if the ever, windows. If, if you've lost your travel partner, everybody seems to gather Usually we
3: say, I'll see you, yes, <laughs> if somewhere at around clock. at the clock. Maybe not good at 12, um, like, noon time, because you sometimes too cannot move. People. Yes, too many people. But it must
0: have been quite spectacular in the Middle Ages. All oh, this, sure. It's a very I mean, fancy clock. This
3: clock, yeah, this is one of the most well-preserved still, and then thinking about the, the time, like, 15th century, when it was, you know, done, it's really quite amazing, and it was even kept, even though little destroyed at the end of the Second World War, but basically everything works on that old model of the 15th century.
0: Prague used to be an undiscovered destination. Now it's quite touristy. And I think the most, almost, you could say, disgustingly touristic stroll is from the main square to the Charles Bridge. To the
4: Charles Bridge, yes, exactly. Tell us about
0: this stroll. What do you find?
4: It's a street which is uh, called Karlova. It was named after Charles IV, who was really the most important king in our history. And uh, you just walk through that street, and it will take you to the Charles Bridge, which right. was built by the by but the same king. But you got all these king.
0: goofy shops now. A lot of them. Yeah, are owned all, by the, all the all the tourist
4: shops are really over there. So yeah. Yeah. so avoid the shopping there because those are the most pricey places there. <laughs>
0: You know, and a lot of them are, are Russian uh, merchants yeah. that are selling Russian knickknacks. Russian
4: dolls, even, you know, and, Dushin, and Russian And tourists don't even know hats, the difference. They're just
0: buying a Russian hat mm, in Prague mm. thinking it's Slavic or something like Eastern. This. Eastern. This
4: is the Eastern Europe. Let's buy it here in Prague.
0: Whoa. <laughs> One nice thing is to look above that. Just look 10 meters higher and you'll see elegance from the old world. Just yeah. Just raise your eyes up.
4: Because luckily, Prague wasn't really destroyed during the World War II. So that's the most unique part of the city that yeah. we can see all the beautiful stuff. Styles of architecture within really like the historical center uh,
0: unusual in Central and Eastern Europe a city with no war damage
4: yeah that's correct
0: now you get to Charles Bridge that's I think my favorite bridge I would say that's my favorite bridge in Europe Charles Bridge
4: I agree completely
0: (laughs) but it's your hometown I get to choose of all them without being biased and I agree too it's lined with statues you got incredible views you've got all sorts of musicians on the street. It's just a delight. And then from Charles Bridge, you hike up the street and you get to Europe's grandest hmm. castle, our biggest castle anyways, with the wonderful cathedral yes. in it. Yes. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with two friends and tour guides from Prague in the Czech Republic, Jana Hrankova and Katarina Svobodova. And we're talking about the Coronation Way in Prague. Our phone number is 877 And Carol's on the line in Bel Air, Florida. Carol, thanks for your call.
5: Hi. Uh, we were lucky enough to go to Prague uh, in the fall, and then we're going back in the spring. We did not get inside of a lot of the buildings, but the architecture is just absolutely breathtaking. Mm. And we had a lot of street musicians, uh, uh, all sorts of entertainers. It's so vibrant.
0: Vibrant uh, is a good it, word for Prague, I think, and they do have wonderful yes. street musicians. You guys know my favorite, uh, the Prague yeah, the Prague Orchestra. Pra-castle,
3: orchestra. <laughs> the smallest orchestra in the world, two people. Two people. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> how they, that's how they see yeah, it.
0: Yeah, they are so good. And they've been going now for 20 years or something, really, and you'll yeah. find them at the gateway. Did you see them, Carol?
5: We saw a variety, at, but a lot of, they weren't, uh, what you, I would have thought of as typical. I mean, there were magicians yeah. and folk musicians and rock, Celtic rock musicians.
0: (laughs) Well, it's a place Uh, where buskers can go because there's so many people out and about. I think it'd be a destination for buskers and street musicians even if they're not from the Czech Republic. Boy, when you talk about that, I remember the old days during the Cold War when it was bleak and gray and the bridge was empty. There was just people changing money in the black market and scary-looking characters on the bridge, you know. Today, it's just a carnival atmosphere, especially in the summer. It
5: really is. And uh you just stumble across these wonderful small restaurants that have typical Czech fare, and then you know little little bistros. It's all sorts of things tucked away mm. that you you miss if you don't stop and sort of look down places.
0: Well, let's talk about tucked away places, Jana. When you're in Prague and you want to find a little place that's tucked away, what's a special destination that you would you'd be sure that Carol would go to when she's in Prague?
4: One of my favorite places. Is uh, by the castle, and it's a, it's a garden, which is not really uh, so touristy. Mm-hmm. It's called the uh, Royal Garden, mm-hmm. uh, where the Summer Palace of Queen Anne is situated, and it's really on the way to the castle, which is the most touristy mm-hmm. place in in Prague. But before you really like reach the castle, you can just step out of the way and hide inside of the Royal Garden. That's really very, very beautiful garden and very relaxing place. So for me, like to get out of the busy streets, that would be really like a recommendation. Katrina? If speaking about the Prague Castle complex, I would suggest you go through that,
3: we call it the deer's moat. And that's another thing. You have people all over the Prague Castle complex, but once you walk, and you can these days walk through the deer's moat to reach the castle or the other way round from up there down, you are basically on your own. No one goes through that area. So if they are, then it will be just, you know, the easiest way to only step, like, one step there to the garden and then either to the dearest moat.
0: Very nice. Carol, There's some ideas for you. Thanks for your yes. call.
3: All okay,
5: right, thank you.
0: This is Travel with Rick Steves. We are enjoying Prague, specifically the Coronation Way, walking from the Powder Gate at the old medieval entry to the walled city through the core of Prague with its grand square right in the center and its towering teen church, then down that touristic gauntlet to the most enjoyable and entertaining bridge in all of Europe, the Charles Bridge going over the Voltava River, and then right up that cobbled lane to what in many ways is the biggest castle in all of Europe, the Prague Castle, where the king would be coronated. We've been joined by Jana Hrankova and Katerina Svobodova. Jana and Katerina, if we could just close with one image. You guys are both tour guides. Where would you take me for the most memorable and, and beautiful moment? What time and where and what would we see? Jana?
4: I would take you to the very beautiful viewpoint by the Strahov Monastery, where you can see the the whole city really below you.
0: I was hoping you'd take me there. (laughs) We could sit in the expensive restaurant or we could just go down below into the little garden and do it for free. Yes. And then we would see the skyline of the golden city of a hundred spires. Katerina, where would you take me?
3: Actually, maybe to see the other half. So that means from the other point, from the south, back there, and that would be Visehrad Castle. Oh, that's, that's the right. other castle complex we have in Prague. And then once you're there on the viewing point, you see all the bridges lined up all the way towards the north, you know, and the Charles Bridge somewhere in the distance, but we know where it is.
0: That is perfect. Katrina and Jana,
3: děkuji.
6: Děkuji.
0: Let's get a solar recharge next on the beaches of the Algarve on the south coast of Portugal. Then we hear how ditching it all for an RV lifestyle can give you the freedom to focus on what's important in life. We're at 877-333-7425 on Travel with Rick Steves. many, fun in the sun in Europe means the crowded Costa del Sol in Spain. But if you follow the Mediterranean all the way west to Land's End in Portugal, you find yourself in the dreamy Algarve. This is a region where there's still room for some of the small-town magic of a classic Portuguese fishing town. The south coast of Portugal stretches from lagoon towns and sandbars in the east all the way to the rocky domain of windsurfers off Cape St. Vincent, where the end of the world was back before the discoveries of Columbus. Joining us to get acquainted with the Algarve is Cristina Duarte. She's a tour guide from Lisbon. She's joined by Robert Wright. Robert's helped me update my guidebooks on Spain and Portugal for many years, and he also guides visitors around Portugal every summer. Robert and Cristina, thanks for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you. So there are endless beaches and lots of coastal charm in Iberia. Cristina, what is unique about the Algarve?
2: Think think the sand. More that I travel and see others... And I'm going on holidays with my kids also to the sand, to beaches all over, and especially Mediterranean, and I miss the fine white golden sand. Of, uh, the south coast of, of the Portugal. south coast of Portugal.
0: Is it more pebbly or
6: more gravelly mm. elsewhere? More brown. Uh, it's
2: brown and brown. gravelly, yeah. rocky. It hurts your feet. Now, Robert, right. Rick, I
6: would say that another fantastic quality of the Algarve, besides also the mm-hmm. sand, is fantastic, but also the light. The quality of the mm, light yes. is absolutely beautiful because it's not Mediterranean; it's Atlantic and so it has a different hue to it. It's almost a little bit more yellowish, yeah. and that goes along beautiful with the sand that Christina mentioned.
0: Oh, I like it. And you've That's... got those classic postcard pictures of the dramatic rock formations at La Gauche where you can, like, walk through the tunnels, the natural tunnels, and you got the golden sand, the beautiful light, and the relaxed visitors. Robert, if you were to explain the Algarve, just the geography, give us, for people who don't know the Algarve, what is it geographically, and in a nutshell? What are the highlights?
6: It's a rough and rocky coast. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, because it is Atlantic, so it gets a lot of uh, weather beating along to it. So you have uh, interesting rock formations, as you mentioned, uh, along Lagos. There are other places where you have sandbars like off the coast of Tavira. Mm-hmm. You also, at the very tip, at the point, at uh, Cabo San Vicente, you've got a beautiful sort of uh, cliffside where you've got a lighthouse, and you can just imagine all of those explorers rounding the coast and on their way to go to Africa to find the sea route to India. Oh,
0: I just love this, because we're talking about one of the favorite guys in Portuguese lore, Prince Henry the Navigator. Explain the romantic connection of Henry the Navigator and the Age of Discovery and Cape Sagres.
6: Prince Henry the Navigator was responsible for starting Portugal onto exploration, (laughs) and he's the one who uh, gave the big impetus using funds from a military religious order that he was... The Grand Master of, and so he got to decide whether those funds would be used, and he started doing military campaigns and basically set Portugal on the road to discovery
0: and that made it a world power because it basically plotted out the world with Spain with the where they' planted their flag so Henry the Navigator would have sort of set the stage for Vasco da Gama and Magellan
6: he did, and actually uh, thanks to Columbus kind of making a mistake. <laughs> Uh, Portugal actually found the route to India before Spain did so Columbus just sailed west let's go west and uh, when he discovered the Americas the Treaty of Tordesillas which was in 1494 just two years after the discovery of the Americas it divided the world into two and you've got everything on the west belonging to Spain and everything on the east side of that line Uh is Portuguese
0: and today the two languages in South America are Portuguese, and Spanish. There you go. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're learning about the south coast of Portugal, the Algarve. We're joined by Cristina Duarte and Roberto Wright. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Karen's calling in from Brookfield, Pennsylvania. Karen, thanks for your call.
5: You're welcome. I was in Portugal in October, and I was fascinated and loved it. It was wonderful. The people were charming and delightful. The food was incredible, and the scenery was breathtaking.
0: Mm. What part of Portugal were you in?
5: I took a tour that looped the entire country.
0: Isn't it interesting how everybody knows about Spain and and they oftentimes give Portugal a miss and when you get there, it's distinct from Spain and it it certainly has charms to compete.
5: Yes, very much so. I, I actually prefer it. I really do. My question was, I want to go again, but rather than going with a group, I want to be independent and I was curious about the easeability of using public transportation to get from Lisbon down to the Algarve to rent perhaps for a week or two weeks at a time.
0: Robert, what would you recommend public transit from Lisbon to the south coast?
6: There are several ways to get there, uh, either by train or by bus. Either is, is an option because there are trains that go directly to Lagos. Mm-hmm. And you could go there that way or uh, probably the way that most Portuguese travel because it's cheaper and it's actually uh, a lot more fun to see the countryside is by a long-distance bus.
0: When I was first traveling in Portugal, I remember there were no freeways and now there's freeways all over the place in Portugal thanks mm. to EU uh, rent subsidies car. and mm. so on. So you can get to the Algarve twice as fast as you could in the old days by bus or car. Cristina? Uh,
2: the difficulty about the train from Lisbon is that uh, there is not a straight and direct train to every place where you want to stay. So many times you have uh, Lisbon, Tunis, which is in the Algarve, and from there you have to take another train to the other place. And if you probably go to a small fisherman village like Salima, for instance, you have another problem, which is to make the connection between where from Lagos to arrive to Salima. So sometimes the bus actually, Mm -hmm. if it is a more remote area, probably the bus, it will be the best connection. And
6: it may be one or two buses that you have to take. But it's fairly fairly easy to navigate as long as you know ahead of time that that's what you have to do. And if
2: you actually, well, if you want to try to drive in Portugal, it's not that complicated. You just get out. <laughs> you just get out of the airport, you rent a <laughs> car of the airport, you just cross the river already on the on the bridge, beautiful bridge of Vasco da Gama and then you have 2 hours straight oh. to the Algarve on the highway. So I see. <laughs> it's
5: wonderful to know.
0: Karen, thanks so much for your call.
5: Oh, well, thank you very, very much. Enjoy
0: your next trip to Portugal. I
5: will. Thank All you. Right. Bye-bye. Bye
0: now. Jen's on the line in Walnut Creek, California. Jan, thanks for calling in.
5: Hello. I've been to the Algarve before, but this time I'd like to go back and kind of take more time. Um, I'd like to stop in some of the villages and towns that you might recommend. And also, I'm interested in uh, hiking, uh, maybe some picturesque hiking routes you can recommend. Uh, for the
0: average hiker. Uh. Hiking, now that's a good idea. If you think about the south coast, you've got Lagos, I think, which is the the big destination that is famous and like a big resort with good connections. You've got Sagres, which is the very southwest tip. That's where the rugged cliffs are and the high wind and, and pretty sparsely populated. Tavira is a charming town closer to Spain. And then all along the way, you've got smaller, more nondescript towns that you could choose. Our favorite little fishing village uh, town, where a tourist would be Salema, S-A-L-E-M-A. And if you wanted to, now they've put a a freeway in almost all the way across. It's inland, but it just zips you from Spain to Lagos in just an hour or so uh, because of this freeway. But there's plenty of hiking. Uh, Robert, what would you recommend for somebody who wants to make a base and then enjoy getting into nature?
6: I would say there there are two options. One would be to make a base in Lagos and go from there and explore on your own and, and always come back because there are lots of beautiful rock formations directly around Lagos that are a little bit more accessible than on the tip because on that point mm-hmm. out there, it's a little bit too hazardous for a lot of people. It's not for your average hiker, and I would say. And I just
0: took a very nice walk, almost a paved walk, mm-hmm. along through the beaches and the rock formations in Lagos. Right. It was quite nice.
6: Right. And if you and the second option would be to go uh, north of Sagres, uh, north of the tip, because they have opened recently a hiking route called the Costa Vicentina. And it's actually a beautiful, beautiful walk, and there are many parts of it that are accessible. Well, there you go, Jan.
5: Okay, that's wonderful. I'll I'll make a note of it for my next trip.
6: Have fun. Thanks for your call.
0: Bye-bye. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about the south coast of Portugal, Algarve, and we're talking with Cristina Duarte and Roberto Wright. Christina and Robert, when you think about the oligarch, we we know Henry the Navigator, and this is sort of like his school where he taught the navigators how to open up the world to the Portuguese explorers and how he debriefed them when they got back in. We also have a Moorish connection. That was when the Muslims from Africa came in and took over Spain and Portugal, invading in the early 700s and staying there for several centuries, not being pushed back into Africa until 1492. Christina, tell us just briefly about the Moorish uh, heritage.
2: First of all, in people. Mm-hmm. That is uh, a little bit uh, the kind of a more tanned color on the skin, more curly air. So already the aspect on, uh, on the people in relationship with the uh, north of Portugal that are the skin is light. Uh, so within Portugal, yes. the ethnicity of the yes. people
0: in the Algarve has more you of get, an Arabic yes. flavor because of uh, intermingling yes. through the Moorish times.
2: Yes. Then in words, in the vocabulary, so in Portuguese, all of the words that start by al- Many places uh, that start by Ode, which ah, means the oh, river, Algarve, Algarve, Algarve the Alhambra. Occident, Alhambra, the Alcazar, and also products. Like, for instance, we say to the olive oil, we say in Portuguese, uh, a Azaita is a Moorish word that comes from Azetum, which means olive oil.
0: The word Algarve is actually an Arabic word, isn't it? What does that mean, Christopher? It means to
2: the west. To the west, yes. And, and
0: that's from where the Muslims came. When they exactly, crossed. exactly. Okay. Now, of course, you have the Reconquista, and the Muslims who ruled there were retaken by the Christians and forced to give up their Islamic faith. Robert, I've heard a kind of a touristy story about the icons of the Algarve, the little, cute little chimneys are almost like leftover minarets in the minds of the people that live there. Is there anything to that? Have you ever heard that?
6: Um, I've heard that. It's. It, I think it's a little bit more of a folktale than anything else. But yes, all of these, it's traditional architecture from Muslim times that sort of survives today. Yeah. Uh, the little chimneys and also the colors, the blues and the whites, and all of that is leftovers from from that time So period. as you
0: travel through the Algarve, you've got so many layers of history in the Algarve, along with just laying on the beach and enjoying the fun in the sun. We're exploring the Algarve region along the south coast of Portugal right now on Travel with Rick Steves with our guests, Cristina Duarte and Robert Wright. And we're taking your calls at 877-333-RICK. Stephen's on the line from Cudahy, Wisconsin. Stephen, thanks for calling in.
5: Certainly. I have a question. My wife and I are planning a week in Portugal, and we want to go to Lisbon because it looks so incredibly beautiful on your show. But we wondered... And we've never been to Portugal before. We're wondering, would we have enough time to do both Lisbon and the Algarve?
0: In one week. Robert, you're very uh, adept at helping people plan their itineraries in Portugal. Americans typically have too much to do and not enough time.
6: One week. Can Stephen do Lisbon and the Algarve? If so, how? Definitely. Um, It all depends on if you are big city people or you want more time in the sun. As we mentioned a little bit earlier in the interview, it's only a two-hour trip, basically, from Lisbon down to the Algarve by car, a little bit longer for public transportation, so it's definitely doable. You could easily say you would spend five days in Lisbon. There are plenty of things to see in Lisbon for five days, and then spend two relaxing on the coast.
0: You know, you could spend three nights on the coast, pick up a car. I think you could probably rent a car at the Lisbon airport one evening after doing Lisbon drive that evening down drop to,
6: it off in Lagos
0: and, and then or, or drive it back to the airport if you wanted to even if yeah. you wanted to yeah but, and yeah. then you'd have three nights and two I would say if you're going to go down there Stephen give yourself at least three nights so you have two uninterrupted days do all your hardcore sightseeing in Lisbon and then go down to the south coast and enjoy just the, the beach ambience Christina?
2: On the way, if you think that you didn't have enough, you can always, well, sightseeing a little bit in Evora. That is a lovely town. Oh, this is the problem. It's mission creep. (laughs) There's so much to see. Hey, if Stephen's
0: down there on the south coast (laughs) and he's got two days, let's just talk about what he's going to eat, okay? One of the fun things in Portugal is the octopus jars. You see these guys fishing for octopus like they did in Phoenician times in in the ancient days where they'd drop these jars Pottery jars down into the uh, special areas where there's a lot of octopus, and then the those poor octopus—they think <laughs> it's a safe place to hide <laughs> exactly. out.
6: And then, and then the next morning, it's like, "Oops, the we're <laughs> we're wrong, breathing air. We shouldn't place. be here. Something's wrong. What's wrong, wrong with this picture?" Place. Last
0: mistake that octopus makes, and tonight he's on Stephen's dinner plate. All right. So you got your fresh octopus. You can go to fish auctions. Where would you go to see a fish market or any any sort of fish action? I was just in Sagres. In the town of Sagres, there's a fish market every morning.
2: Yes, and also Lagos. Is Lagos is huge. The Very. fresh market oh, uh, yeah. is huge. In the other side of, uh, well, in the Algarve coast, uh, Loule is the biggest one.
0: L O U L E. L O U L E. And, Christina, tell me about barnacles, Persebes.
2: Barnacles, um, and uh, normally people have a wrong idea of barnacles. They think it's more like a, a clam. They imagine it like mostly a black clam that attaches to the boats and is infestant. No, barnacles is uh, like a, a horseshoe mostly, and it uh, borns in, in rocks. And in rocks, where is the beaten water? So the water must be completely clean, known unpolluted, no, non-polluted. So
0: in very rough wa- waves, yes, crashing and so crashing. So that makes the best barnacles.
2: Exactly. Huh? So it's mm. nothing that is coming well uh, in a uh, infestant way. No, it's it's very high quality product that is very dangerous to get. And how do you say it in Portuguese? Percebes.
0: And why is it dangerous to get?
2: Because uh, the fishermen, they are not fishing. They are almost like how to say they're rock, well, rock, climbing, rock climbing. Basically, yeah, mm. they are rock climbing, and they have as they. Get out the barnacles every year lower, and they have to go lower and lower because it's on the tide limit. Ah. So it means that they have in between the tides they have roughly one hour. In a one hour, otherwise they have already the the high tide again. So, so these it's are extremely dangerous.
0: It's not very often that I go for the most expensive thing on the menu. And percevish barnacles are quite expensive, but they are really good. So, Stephen, when you're uh, going to be hanging out in the Algarve, be sure you try some fresh octopus and some I'd persabish. Thanks for your call. You're welcome. Persebish. Robert, what's your favorite food treat on the Algarve?
6: I think my favorite food to have while I'm on the Algarve would be the cataplana, which is a really wonderful fish stew. So you may have been to France and you think it's bouillabaisse, but it's not. No, it's much better. They're cooked in these beautiful bronze vessels that kind of look like a clam, and not only are there fish, but there's other kinds of seafood in there as well. Potatoes and this wonderful broth, because when you cook it for hours, everything just melts together.
0: I love it, Christina. What's your take on cataplana? Uh, uh,
2: well, not cataplana. I will go. Have? I will go for sardines, so we can share. You, you ask. You I ask would Kataplana. love that. You ask cataplana, anytime. I ask sardines, and we share
0: <laughs> a nice cataplana, which comes in a nice pottery bowl usually it 's like it 's like an elegant soup for fish, and then you got your beautiful sardines beautiful. and you say sardines like it 's just close to your heart. What is it with sardines in
2: sardines Portugal? is like one of the family blue uh, kind of uh, fish uh-huh. so it means that uh, the the good ones are normally from end of May until September, but still September they are already skinny, I'd say. <laughs> the very fat, good ones are May to June. June are the best ones, and they are greasy, so they grill. You just put on some salt, maritime salt, and you grill it. Nothing but that, and it goes with all together with, well, the bones, the inside, the eyes, but it's just wonderful because of those smells and the flavors, they are 100% original, genuine.
0: It sounds like yes. of the sea. So and, nice. And and then you wash it down with Vino Verde. Do you or
6: not? I don't definitely, know. So now definitely. what do you think?
0: Do you like? This is the green wine in Portugal. Mm-hmm. Let's just close it off with Robert. What is this green wine?
6: Uh, vino Verde is a, um, it's not green, actually. It's just a very young wine. And that's okay. why they call it green. And it's slightly sparkling. Uh-huh. It's made from an albariño grape, which is basically uh, from northern Portugal. Uh-huh. And it's light, crisp, a little bit acidic. That's why it goes very well with seafood.
0: Nice match with the seafood and the Portuguese yes. vino verde. Roberto Wright, Cristina Duarte, obrigado for beautiful ideas about enjoying the south of Portugal, the Algarve. Thank you so much. De nada. For some people, there comes a time when getting away from it all requires more than just a week at the beach. In a moment, author Christina Nielsen tells us how she re-energized her life by selling her home in Taos and downsizing to a 35-foot motorhome. She and her husband, cat, and dog set off for five years of wandering the open road, camping out in the wilderness, and encountering wildlife and herself in a whole new light. That's next on Travel with Rick Steves.
6: I'm Amir Talibecilovic i I'm uh, coming from Sarajevo, capital of Bosnia, where I work as a local guide and as a journalist. We have many proverbs, like the rest of the Balkans. And for this time, I will use uh, one um, journalist one. We will say, like, "Sloboda, govora je zajamčena, ali ne I sloboda govora. There is a guarantee for the freedom of speech, but uh, not the freedom after the speech. Govora je zajamčena, ali ne I nakon govora.
0: Have you ever dreamed of leaving everything behind and just hitting the open road for, for months, several months? Why not? Maybe even a few years. Well, about a decade ago, Christina Nielsen did just that. When she sold nearly all of her possessions, she bought a motorhome, spent five years crisscrossing the American West from British Columbia all the way down to the tip of Baja Peninsula in Mexico. Along the way, she explored remote and wild places. She stared down a grizzly and even had close encounters with mountain lions and gray whales. From this experience, Christina Nielsen wrote her book, Drive Me Wild. Christina joins us now to inspire us to sell everything, get in an RV, and go for it. Is that right, Christina?
1: That's mm-hmm. absolutely right. <laughs> Whoa. Now,
0: let's just talk about this. First of all, I was fascinated that you spent the first year of your adventure just going up and down the West Coast visiting friends in your RV, Mm. and you called your RV the perfect guest house. How so?
1: Yeah, that, that was a surprise. Didn't realize that that was what I was going to end up doing, but I realized that this was the perfect time to go and see friends, and it's the perfect guest house because you take your own house with you. You're not entering somebody else's space. You're parked outside. You are plugged in, and you still are interacting on a daily level for several days at a time. It's not like you're catching lunch. You're catching days. It
0: takes you a little longer to wear out your welcome.
1: That's absolutely right. (laughs) (laughs) Now,
0: typically, uh, you know, RV travelers stay in RV parks, and you could do Mm -hmm. a whole book on that, but you didn't. You did something called boondocking. What do you mean by boondocking?
1: That's right. Boondocking is when you go into a wide-open space like the BLM, Or
0: BLM, what's that?
1: That's the Bureau of Land Management. These are the open spaces of the West, the land that's public lands, Hmm. and uh, the forest, from the Forest Service. And you find beautiful places to park, and the beauty of it is is that you can park in these places unless it's designated that you cannot.
0: Okay, so you and your partner, Jay, are driving down the street, and it's getting late in the day, and you kind of think, time to boondock, let's uh, scout a place to park for the night. How does that work?
1: Yeah, that's, that's exactly the way it works. We are um, pulling a car, pulling a Honda, and if we find a place where we want to pull off, we unhitch the car, and I go scouting. I have the, the walkie-talkie, and I take off on a little two-track road, and I'm looking for a place for us to park where nobody else is.
0: Oh, because you want to be away from traffic and stuff like that, so you got to scout the back roads.
1: Absolutely. We are on the two tracks. Yeah. Uh, the uh, motorhome that we chose to live in has a high um, clearance, Okay. and it's not one of these ones that has a six-inch clearance so that we could mm. get on those back roads. Sometimes we were up at 11,000 feet wow. off two track roads.
0: Jay's back with the RV, and you're running around in the little car. How do you know <laughs> the perfect, hey, let's we're going to plant it here. What, what do you look for?
1: I look for something level. Yeah. I look for something that's going to give me a good vantage point in terms of being able to see the sky with mm-hmm. the stars at night. Uh, something that is near water, if possible, because I'm a birder. Mm -hmm. I love birds, and I love to watch migrations.
0: And is there a law of the land that says, like, this is government-owned, and if you've got an RV, you can spend the night here as long as you don't mess things up? That's right. And do you feel safe out there in the middle of nowhere?
1: You know, I, I feel perfectly safe.
0: You did this for years, and nobody ever with a chainsaw came after you and wanted to kill no, you? No,
1: and you know what? I'm still doing it.
0: Ah, I uh, love it's, it. It's, Good. it's
1: been 10 years, and now I'm with my dog and my cat, but I am still going up and down the roads. Good with for a, with you. With a pickup and a travel trailer, not, not an RV.
0: There's too many people looking at milk cartons that have some kidnapped kid, and they won't go out of their house anymore, you know. Um, now, yeah. is there a camaraderie on the road among RVers, or did you just avoid them, and you did this parallel thing, this boondocking?
1: You know, I did both. You know, for the most part, you know, I'm a writer. I, I love to be in solitude. That's, that's my MO. But there are times, you know, with that, with that motorhome, we could be out there for two weeks because we had the holding tanks, and, you know, we could have the amount of water Mm-hmm. Two weeks was our limit. But after that time, we would come in and, and most likely end up in an RV park to be able to do laundry.
0: Well, there's the practical value of checking in with that to
1: That's right. probably
0: dump That's your right. tanks and uh, do laundry and just have some fun with some other human beings.
1: And, you know, the RV community is it's a very special community. For one thing, they don't talk about roles. You know, it's, it's very refreshing that way when you pull in and you start to talk to somebody. It's not, what did you do for a living? Mm. It's, well, how are you today? And, you know, gee, that's a great rig you're driving. You know, it's, um, it's very much in the moment.
0: I've got relatives that do that, and I get that sense that there really is a, a complicity and a camaraderie in that crowd. Now, it is tight corners, and you're day in and day out with your partner, and, and you and Jay had a rule to be alone in the morning. hmm Not with each other. Right. Explain.
1: Yeah, that, that became very clear because he was a writer as well. And even though we had our, our separate spaces in the motorhome, uh, it was real important that we were able to live out our own rhythms mm-hmm. uh, separately as well. So we would have certain number of hours apart every day and, and then come together in the afternoon to hike or do what we might want to do.
0: I like that. That's the same thing for traveling anywhere. So many people go through their trips like they're in a three-legged race, and they're almost (laughs) offended if somebody wants to have a little space. And I think you need an explicit understanding at the very beginning, hey, I really like you. I'm glad we're doing this together, but I need a couple of hours because I'm sick and tired of Monet paintings. I want to go down to the dock or something like that. Yeah, and
1: just to feel your own rhythm again. That's
0: right. How did you spend your mornings, apart from Jay?
1: I spent my mornings uh, journaling, that was the source of, of this book drive me wild a Western Odyssey yeah I would I would journal every day I do that every day anyway but oh, um, what a
0: great way to write a book I love that idea and then you get done and you can distill it into this wonderful book that lets other people share yeah. in your experiences also you mentioned that you did a lot of reading so you knew what was down the road and I would imagine, you know, you could drive right by Sacagawea's birthplace without even knowing the significance if you weren't diligent about doing your homework.
1: That's right. And and it wasn't just those books. It was also maps. I had three or four different maps at any given time. I was the co-pilot, and uh, it felt like a juggling act at times. You know, the other thing, Rick, is that I learned very quickly that what I thought was going to be very spontaneous—that mm-hmm. oh, for going down the street, we can just turn there. Well, you can't turn there if you're a motorhome towing. You know, towing spontaneity. A car <laughs> I, I've
5: office.
0: long ago learned that the best spontaneity is uh, from somebody who's well prepared to know how to be spontaneous because they are prepared.
1: Absolutely.
0: I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Christina Nielsen. She wrote a book called "Drive Me Wild: A Western Odyssey," talking about. Uh, Christina, just checking out and packing it into an RV and spending five years on the road in the United States. Our phone is 877-333-7425, and Holger's on the phone in Tillamook, Oregon. Holger, that's a good place to take an RV. Tillamook.
7: Yes, sir. Uh, I have a question. I have a uh, pickup with the Alaskan camper, and I like to travel, and I like to travel by the seat of my pants, so to speak, without Mm -hmm. any plan, and sometimes i find it difficult to especially in the spring or in the summer to just pull into a space you know uh, be at a national park or say or a forest or whatever uh because they say that it's all full except for in places like alaska i have no problem camping up there because the state allows you to pull off in a rest area and you can set up your camper, and the state troopers won't bother you. The same thing with in Nevada. You can stay at a rest area for up to 18 hours and then sleep and just see the sights there and then continue on. But other states, you know, you can't even uh, pull all over at night and, and, you know, sleep in your camper for a few hours before, you get, before they tell you, hey, you can't do that. So how do you go about the logistics of going places? ahead of time you know it's like a rat race then you it's like oh i gotta be there at a certain time i gotta be there at a certain date and then you lose the fun of it
1: Mm, yeah. I, uh, I, Definitely, I stayed away from schedules. I, I didn't have that sense where I had to be somewhere at a certain date. It was a real challenge to friends because they'd say, well, when are you getting here? And I would give them a 10-day leeway. You know, It's like, I will appear somewhere in this time, and as I get closer, I will call you. It sounds to me that what you're doing is you're trying to stay in campgrounds. And one of the things that I learned very quickly is that if you get to these national forests or whatever and you just head down a BLM road and there are maps that you can get, those big maps that have the atlases in them that show you the two tracks, the gravel roads, and you can just head down those and you can find a place to pull off, as long as it is federal land, state land.
0: And does the map indicate what is BLM territory?
1: Yes, it does.
0: So it's very clear there's no guesswork involved there. The public
1: lands, the Corps of Engineers, they have, you know, the dams for the Corps of Engineers. There are some beautiful places tucked away back in there, but you just got to know where they're at. Now, if you get stuck in a town, uh, there are a couple things you can do. You know, lots of people dry camp at Walmart, you're uh, probably yeah, aware of that. that. And I the bet. other thing you can do usually is you can find the police station and ask if you can just park in front of the police station for the night. Oh, usually okay. usually they will let you do that. And many churches will also hmm. let you park in their parking lots. They don't care right, about that. Yeah. So there are places as long as we are neat and tidy and right, um, yeah, that, you know follow good. those rules.
0: And it's a good idea to ask. That's right. Sure. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Holger, yeah. thanks for your call.
7: You're welcome, sir. Take care.
1: Thank you. Bye.
0: So dry camp, that would just mean camping without any access to water.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and hookups. You know, dry camping is really sort of the equivalent to boondocking, only you're doing it in a parking lot Um, or in town. On pavement,
0: (laughs) right. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Christina Nielsen. Her book is Drive Me Wild, talking about five years she spent in her RV having, sounds like the time of your life. Christina, you spent five years. What's your favorite ocean beach experience with your RV?
1: Uh, You know, it has to be the whales. It has to be the whales of Scammon's Lagoon off the Baja when we were out there parked and heard them spouting and rolling all night long.
0: Could you park in Baja with an ocean view? Yes, you can. Nice. What's the most glorious place you remember just in the nighttime?
1: Oh, boy, that's a hard one, in the nighttime.
0: Have you ever been just overwhelmed by the brilliance of the Milky Way?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I'm trying to think. There are so many places, but it has to be Utah, it has to be the um, just being out there in the open deserts of Utah with the Milky Way.
0: You know, a lot of people go through their lives and they've never seen the Milky Way.
1: It is amazing. I mean, um, it envelops you. It changes your perspective on how you, how you perceive the world.
0: Living out of your RV for five years, I-, I imagine you had to be very careful about what you lugged along. What little things did you bring to make this RV your home? Music, pets, meaningful souvenirs? What did you do?
1: Yeah, that, that's a very good question because it was very much a Zen experience. You know, when you're paring down, when you're getting rid of 95% of your possessions, what do you keep? And you keep those things that speak to your soul. Uh, of course you keep your dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's a um, an so you obvious can, answer. You can,
0: it is reasonable. It's, I mean, like I, I don't care how much I love my dog. I'm not going to take it to Europe on vacation. But right. if you're going RVing, the dog's fine.
1: The dog's fine, yeah. Mm-hmm. And but you know, I the things that speak to my soul. You know, my pen, my paper. I have certain fountain pens. I have paper. I have certain mugs. You know, those things that reflect my rituals. My morning coffee in the morning. All these things that feed my soul. You know, certain clothing, certain shawls, color. Yeah, those are the things. to make things. it
0: home. It really was home on wheels. I would imagine. It,
1: it really was. It really was home. One of the first things I did in that in that motorhome was take down. A couple mirrors. You know, there are mirrors everywhere in motorhomes to make them appear larger. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So you take those down and you put up paintings and tapestries, yes.
0: Christina Nielsen is the author of Drive Me Wild, A Western Odyssey. Her book was a finalist for the 2013 Colorado Book Award. You'll find links to her books, photos, and her latest blog observations on her website. That's at ChristinaNielsen.com. That's spelled N-E-A-L-S-O-N. Now, you, you wrote that your internal antenna for Wi-Fi hotspots grew stronger every week.
1: Yeah, that, that is very, very true.
0: You can find Wi-Fi on the road pretty easy, I suppose.
1: Yeah, you can. You can. and Much easier now than, than then. You know, Now, my experience um, being on the road in the next five-year period, it's much, much easier. In fact, now, of course, my smartphone operates as a hotspot. Yeah,
0: and I, I travel with a little Wi-Fi thing that works wonderful that way.
1: That's the other thing, right.
0: What about, uh, you were solar powered, I read.
1: Yes, had solar power panels on top, and I, I have them now as well. Uh, so I'm energy uh, independent in terms of having to plug in. I have little converters, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I can do my coffee grinder and all those things.
0: That must just feel good to be solar-powered. You're consuming a lot of gas. You might as well be solar-powered if you can.
1: Yeah, yeah, you are consuming gas. But but this is the point, and, and this is the thing that people need to remember about this life, is that if you sell your primary home, you are using an incredibly amount of less energy yeah. than if you if, if you still have a home and a second home on top of your RV.
0: Reading your book, it's clear that you have a special relationship with trees. Tell yes. me one of your best tree experiences as you boondaw, as boondock, as you as you boondocked yeah. around the United States.
1: Yeah, um, my most special tree was in New Mexico, and it was um, above Taos, and it was a tree where I would go to meditate, much in the spirit of Buddha. You know, he used to go to trees, to the grove, the sacred groves, to meditate. This tree I would go to many times, and every time I would come back through Taos, I would always make a pilgrimage up into the mountains uh, to this tree. It was a ponderosa. It was an old growth, and that's where I would go to sit and sort of return to the home within myself, because when you take on this kind of life, you have to carry home within you and yet there are certain landscape points that, that become your home. So you
0: had the luxury. I've got that in Europe where when I get to one town, I, I always want to go to this viewpoint or that church or, or, or this little little intersection. And when you're driving around the United States, that's your playground, and, and you've got a certain tree to remember to go to when you yeah, get back Yeah, you, in you have
1: certain trees, like you say, certain spots, those areas that, that speak to you, those areas where you will, that you will never forget.
0: This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been speaking with Christina Nielsen. Her book's called Drive Me Wild, A Western Odyssey. Christina, I I was very touched by your comment that, and and I'd like to just close with this thought, uh, that the most profound journey that you had as you put in so many countless thousands of miles in your RV was an internal one. What do you mean by that?
1: It was a sense of, of learning who I was outside of having to tie myself to a place My search throughout life has always been to peel away the layers and find out who we are at our core. You know, when I lived alone in the wilderness for five years, it was a sense of finding out who I was outside of my roles. Now this was another level. Who am I outside of having a structured home? as I move across the landscape, you know, what will my rituals be now that I don't have a home and, and a garden and these places that are so important to us? And you learn that you are a citizen of the cosmos, of, of the entire planet, of the Earth, and it, and it takes reality to a very, very different level.
0: Given all the pressures in our lives to conform and everything and, and to be so materialistic, that's a journey that takes a lot of courage, but it sounds like it's richly rewarding.
1: Indeed. Indeed it is.
0: Christina Nielsen, author of Drive Me Wild, thank you very much for having this adventure and sharing
1: it with us. It's a pleasure, Rick. Thank you.
6: Look deep into the April face A change has clearly taken place Looking for the summer The eyes take on a certain gaze And leave behind the springtime days
2: Go looking for the summer
7: Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington by Tim
0: Tappan with Sarah McCormick and Isaac kaplan woner Thanks to Aaron Harding and
7: Steve Camerano for their help this week and KNAU Public Radio in Flagstaff for studio help this week. There's more in the radio section of ricksteves.com. You'll find links to our guests, and you can listen to any week's show on demand. Join us again next
0: week for more travel with Rick Steves.
6: Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. His classic, Europe Through the Back Door, teaches the skills of smart travel. And his country, city, and snapshot guides cover what to see, where to eat, and where to sleep for every corner of Europe. To learn more about Rick's books, visit the Travel Store at ricksteves.com.